0: In addition to providing financing solutions in a traditional mortgage broker capacity, Abacus North provides direct loans that range from $2 million to $25 million. On a syndicated basis, they provide mortgage banking solutions up to $300 million. In most cases, their in-house capital solutions can bridge financing gaps that traditional lenders are unable to service. They specialize in providing land acquisition loans, construction financing for large-scale developments, income-producing properties, and single-purpose facilities. With a portfolio that includes high-rise, mid-rise, and low-rise condominiums, townhouse developments, shopping centers, agricultural properties, industrial developments, and medical marijuana facilities, Abacus North is at the forefront of creative mortgage banking solutions I. I. All right, good afternoon. Sorry, not afternoon. Good morning, everybody. We got, we got Stephen Baird on the, on the podcast here this morning. Um, he's a re- retired psychologist.
1: No, psychiatrist. Sorry.
0: Psychiatrist. Sorry, I apologize about that. Um, Stephen spent like the, the vast majority of, of his time um, the last substantial years of debunking misinformation. And we were just kind of starting to get into the conversation about how how he read a few books a number of years ago that that bothered him and now he's kind of made it his life work to be able to debunk misinformation um that's out there and especially on the internet um and it's interesting how i found steven i i found him by researching the zyto machine uh something that i get tested on um like once a month and i just wanted to kind of look at like the validity behind it what the numbers mean and then i ended up stumbling upon Uh, Stephen, which I'm really interested again to that conversation, which will be in the later on in the podcast today. Um, Because At the beginning, we're going to kind of get to know Stephen why he's so passionate about debunking information. We're going to get into a little bit of COVID-19, you know, maybe some Black Lives Matter movement happening in the United States. Um, I don't know what the narratives like in North Carolina right now. I only know it from our watered down version here in Vancouver, BC, Uh, but welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. So give us a little bit of a, a, little bit of a backstory. Uh, North Carolina native, you live there your entire life, or are you just there right now? Um, but give, give us a little bit of life story, build us a narrative. We want to know who you are.
1: Okay, I actually, uh, I'm only here since uh, 2007. I, I grew up in New York City, um, left uh, uh, to uh, uh, take my psychiatric training, got married in the service. Um, Tried to settle in California, but we decided we liked the East better. And then we spent 40 years in Allentown, Pennsylvania. Um, Finally decided to, uh, most of our friends were leaving or or dying. (laughs) And and so we moved to North Carolina where one of of our children lives. And so I've been able to have a very nice setup. We've built a home with a very substantial um, lower level, which serves as my office. Mm.
0: Yeah, and for people who choose to just listen and not watch the, uh, the video file, of this, um, that's the one thing that I was com- commenting on. And it looks like that you have like a vast amount of record keeping than you are doing to me. I'm only seeing probably about 5% of uh, your total record keeping, what, uh, what you have right now to be able to accumulate the knowledge and have the authority to be able to talk on the subjects that you're about to talk about. Um, how big is your, your space there in total? And how many books do you got? What's your, what does your file system look like?
1: Well, the space I work in is 14 by 48 and um, um, I have about 50 file cabinets and about 5,000 books in bookcases. I have a room that has uh, unfiled papers that had 100 boxes in it, which I'm going through at the moment. So I have about 100,000 unfiled documents, plus um, well over 100,000 that are filed and organized. So... uh,
0: so research is a big part of your life. Like when, when you talk on a subject, you've thoroughly done an extensive amount of research before you put out any opinion in, into the public market.
1: Um, I collect source materials and um, some subjects don't really require a tremendous amount of, of research. But I think it's nice to try to put the background of uh, people or organizations that I, I write about. And I've been collecting information um, and and storing it and sorting it. Um, for uh, many years, um, I got interested about fifty years ago when I read some books that annoyed me about the battle between the government and and scammers and i didn't do anything with the information because i didn't have had no idea what to do but um a few years later, we moved to uh, Pennsylvania and i we got intrigued with uh, advertising by chiropractors that they could treat just about anything, which I knew wasn't true. And so we, I began collecting, investigating, um, talking with friends. We formed a group, decided to meet uh, for lunch every other week. We did it for five years and we had different topics, about 40 people all together, um, on and off. And um, we began writing about what we saw began hearing from people all over the country and eventually formed a network that became a national organization called the National Council Against Health Pride. Now At that time, I discovered that um, there weren't a lot of publishers, people in the media that were interested in the kind of things that I was looking at, um, which is a story in itself. So I decided I would learn how to write and I became a writer. It took a long time before I got comfortable. I eventually, um, um, eventually the group uh, petered away, but I kept investigating and writing. I became acquisitions editor for a publisher, medical editor um, and began practicing psychiatry less, spending more time investigating and writing. And finally in 1993, um, when I was 60, Closed my office and spent the next three years writing my three major books. And then the internet came, and I discovered that what used to take months to investigate sometimes could be done in minutes. Mm -hmm. And so um, I began doing that and putting up websites and writing reports. And of course, people read and they send me things. So it's not just me investigating it's me um, getting a mountain of information coming in all the time i have much more than i can handle but i try to pick out topics that are easy to write about where i have enough information and then i post them we also uh, have a free newsletter and a a discussion group that has about 500 people it's been running for 20 years now Mm -hmm. talk about things of interest and share things.
0: Now outside of the the websites that that you host or that you're the the webmaster of, um, have you had any of your your papers or your studies or your articles um, published on you know any other websites or with any other organizations, or is this just literature that you put out on the websites that you manage?
1: Well, um, I have a bit of a conflict in that in that um, um if I write for somebody else, I may not have it on my site the answer The short answer to the question is. I've been widely published, um, not just on the internet, but um, I've had um, over ten thousand articles in newspapers um, throughout my my career. Given lectures at about two hundred colleges altogether, I produced fifty three books, and um, I've had thousands of thousands of different articles published.
0: So, what originally irritated you about chiropractic? Because uh, chiropractic to me irritates me regularly um to this day well what initially started frustrating you when you were reading these books or you when you guys started investigating it um and like what made you really kind of turn against chiropractic was was it how it started and uh in that nice gentleman that started this this uh profession we call chiropractic or was it something that changed along the way because i don't know if a lot of people know this story behind like how chiropractic uh originally got started, um, or kind of like the nitty gritty behind it, but I, I'm personally not a huge fan of the practice of uh, chiropractors.
1: Yeah, well, it's not correct to say that I'm against chiropractic, it's a very complex subject because um, there, are, there are some of them that practice very well and do, do good things for their patients, and there are others that don't. I'm primarily focused on those that don't. Um, the book that I read was called At Your Own Risk. It's now available free of charge on um, the, on uh, ChiroBase, which is my chiropractic site. The author um, gave me permission to, to publish it so everyone can read it. Um, what annoyed me was that chiropractic is ba- the, the origin and most of what's done today is based on a, a false theory that somehow the, the spine controls everything in the body and that if you have abnormalities in the spine, that cuts down something, nerve energy or however it's described and that will make you sick and it'll make you sick in any any number of ways. And chiropractors by manipulating or doing something to the spine can fix you. I mean, that's just utter and complete nonsense. But the thing that got me was they're a licensed profession. How can you be a licensed profession that's basically based on a lie? And that was the thing that intrigued me. You know, To me, that's a mystery that um, is still a mystery. I mean, we have all kinds of things that are legal in the health area that are just complete nonsense. How do they persist? And so I began writing about how they're nonsensical, but also studying why they persist trying to do something to stop them uh, and so on.
0: Why do you think that they persist and why do you feel like people want to believe um, that chiropractic can be, I, I lay on this table, somebody just violently contorts my body, hear a couple pops and like, oh, magic is performed and, and you're all better now. Why do we no, want I to I don't
1: know that? that, I mean, there are some people that that, want to live realistically. There are other people who are desperate. There are people who uh, engage in wishful thinking. There are other people who just, um, um, they don't think clearly. And and so um, they each form a different segment of the market. And there may be an appeal by people who promote false ideas. They may appeal in different ways. Um, sometimes you may say, well, What you have is, uh, oh, I can fix that. And, uh, or they may be desperate and you say, you know, I can help you, or you're in pain, I can relieve your pain, I'll meet your needs. And what happens that makes it complicated is that a lot of health conditions go away by themselves. And if you happen to have something that'll go away by itself and you take a product or have somebody, treat you and it goes away, you may think, oh, wow, that person helped me, where it really went away by itself. But the danger is psychological because you're not, if you you absorb the false belief that something worked when it didn't, you're vulnerable when you have to make another decision. So it isn't just, um, you know, somebody says, what's the harm, will I take a pill? So I have a placebo effect. Is that bad? The answer is yes, because if you don't realize that what happened is it went away by itself, you when you when you really need help, you may go to the wrong place.
0: Isn't that the truth? And you, you could even see that. I, I guess I could make the argument a, a, a version of that would be people in their drinking habits you know, thinking that, like, they can, you know, like, I guess, uh, substantially, like, drink their problems away, or it gives that little bit of placebo effect at the time, thinking that it helps them cope, or it helps them manage, um, but it doesn't actually allow them to be able to understand, like, what the potential underlying problems are.
1: Um, yes, I, I would agree that it basically alcohol is a sedative, and it may calm you down, but it has potential bad after effects. Um, using it as a crutch um, may deprive you of the opportunity or is not as good as trying to uh, fix your problems. And of course, alcohol is other things where if you take too much, it can make you sick. And if you try to stop, you can withdraw. So there are all kinds of, and it's expensive. Lots of different things. I don't think, I I don't know that there's much that's controversial about whether people should drink yeah Um, there's controversy as to how much companies should be able to advertise and promote it and i think that's a i think that could use a little control but that's really not within my field
0: yeah have you got much pushback um you know from chiropractors or or the college national organizations that uh support uh chiropractic care um and therapies is is that something that you face in your field or or have you kind of just been able to navigate uh, uh, criticizing uh, chiropractors or kind of the field um, and, and come unscathed? Or is that something that's been a point of contention in your life since you've chose to speak out against chiropractors?
1: I haven't had any stress from any pushback by chiropractors. Um, for the most part, they ignore me. Uh, I'm told that some of my materials are used for teaching purposes at chiropractic schools where they tell the students, you know, this is what you're going to expect when you get out and you better have answers ready. Um, there's one instructor that says, this is, what, this is what your critics are saying, and I agree with him. Wow. You know, we've got to do better. So there's a real spectrum. At the, at the highest level of chiropractic education, I think I am somewhat respected. At the lowest level, I'm vilified to the students, but in terms of public controversy, um they tend to ignore me It's not first of all, I think they don't i think most of them think they're untouchable, and secondly, I think they realize that public controversy would only call attention to what they're doing wrong and right now, and actually pretty much all the time, you don't see a lot of criticism. One of the amazing things about the The chiropractic marketplace is that there's not a lot of criticism it takes a tremendous amount of work to write something accurately and editors and publishers tend not to want to upset their readers and so i mean even consumer reports um it took years to persuade them in the 1970s to do an investigation and write they did a beautiful job and around 1975 I think it was and again in 1993 and since that time it's more than 25 years they haven't any anything sensible about chiropractic in 25 years (laughs) if if any organization should be um writing about them uh, it should be consumer reports and uh, we've had some promotional pieces really mindless stuff Mm. but uh, they're not interested I don't know why I'm not I no longer have contacts with them. So I have no idea what makes, you know, how they think.
0: What's the psychology behind us allowing the facilitation of misinformation, you know, say specifically like in the chiropractic field, like, like, why do we, why do we deem that to be okay? Is it just because we're, we're searching for answers we're hoping for answers you know the the people that are are desperate and they just want care does that propagate that misinformation like like why why do we as a people why do we as a society allow misinformation because obviously that's the reason why we're sitting down here talking today like the foundation of this podcast is based on the the propagation and the continuation of misinformation and just how rampant it is especially because of the uh the internet like Like, why do you think we allow this to keep on happening when we kind of globally know it's to our detriment?
1: um, Well, I meant so. Who all these we's are, um, there's no uh, uniform uh, opinion. I mean, there there are probably uh, at least as many opinions as there are people, maybe more. Some people have more than one. Uh, Uh, Information is a force, and there are many things that that drive it it's driven by um to a large extent it's driven by a wish to profit from it <clears throat> it's also good information is driven by the wish to share and do good things um there on um, there's no one switch that one can turn the internet is pretty much wide open um, unless you're um, in a country that has consumer protection and you basically break a law you're free to say whatever you want um if you don't go to extremes and you don't kill anybody chances are that no one's going to come after you mm-hmm. so um we have a what might be called a marketplace of ideas not just in in health but everything yeah and um it's mostly a good thing um the sharing of information it's a, it's wonderful to be able to have a question and a minute later find the answer of course it has its downside which is if you don't know how to look you may find the wrong answer and get hurt and then there are people who who try very hard to put out good information um i suggest that that um it's a funny thing when people call up and they say i've been searching for information um i know that they haven't found it because Searching has a special meaning when they say that. It means I don't know where to searching means you don't know where to look. Mm-hmm. I don't do searching, I search. Little difference. Searching mean, I mean, in, in the way I'm describing it, searching means I don't know where to look, so I look and I've tried to read everything I can. You do that, it means you don't know how to look. If you want to if you know how to look, you go where you know the information is trustworthy. Mm-hmm. So if yeah. you re- try to read all sides. It can be very confusing. There are people who write um, very trickily. I'm I'm in the process of of analyzing an article. It will take me about a week to write about it. It makes 10 points. And um, every one of them is misleading. But each one is referenced. And there are people who write with references. Well, what if the reference doesn't fit? What if it says the opposite? What if it's not relevant? If you don't look it up, you're not gonna know that. And even if you do, you may not find it. You may not know how to read it, etc. It's taking me a week to completely analyze one article. And um, so it's just an example of, and the, the man I'm, I'm looking at has a lot of followers, people are not very discriminating and that they seem to trust him. And I think that's not good.
0: And, you know, and you, you kind of allude to a problem that I think, uh, most people have or, you know, like, um, it's not, not fact checking, not having quote unquote like enough time to be able to go through all those references simply because references are listed. It automatically becomes trustworthy because there's references there. But I'm sure a lot of people don't actually go into those references and cross check them just to be able to make sure that the information is trustworthy.
1: Um, well, I don't recommend doing that um, i don't rec- <clears throat> I recommend going to sites that are trustworthy and not doing blind searching. um The only time i I do blind searching is to get an idea as to who might be available that has information. Then I go to the sites that I trust. And um, on Quackwatch and uh, Internet Health Pilot, we list over 500 trustworthy sites. That's more than enough for almost anything you want to know. Of course, you have to decide, you know, is Barrett trustworthy? And that's, a, that's a, I guess, a fundamental thing. But if you trust me, go to the places I trust and you'll save a lot of time and, and aggravation. And, you know, how do you tell who can trust? The answer should be um, who agrees. And um, you have to believe that the prevailing scientific opinion is likely to provide the best answer. It doesn't mean science is always right, but it, it does mean that I would say that the prevailing opinion, that means the best we've got today, may turn out that something improves on it, not likely to contradict it. People say, well, you know, they used to use leeches and and they used to bleed people to death and all that. For the last 60 years, nothing like that has occurred. When the scientific method came along, information was built on top of information. It didn't usually replace it. Usually it's refined. And so I don't think there have been any really big errors that I can think of. And even so, the odds, if you go with what's prevailing, um, the odds greatly favor what you do.
0: So I, I guess this is a little bit of a, a segue right now. I know one of the things that you wanted to uh, to briefly touch on, on today was, was COVID-19. Um, express your opinion. I, I'm really interested to see or to hear what your, your perspective and your opinion is. I was, when we were talking via email, it's, it's a topic that you wanted to bring up. So uh, throw, throw it out there for us. What, what's going on in your mind in regards to COVID-19? What's your opinion? Yeah. Um, well,
1: I'm particularly concerned about what the average individual can and should do about it. Um, um, it's a virus. It's called a novel virus because nobody is immune to it to start with, viruses like the common cold, influenza, there's a lot of immunity about. And when you have a certain level of immunity, either because you have the disease and develop antibodies or because you're vaccinated, when you reach a certain level, it doesn't spread very far, called herd immunity. When you get to a point of herd immunity, um, it's not usually a problem anymore. And, once in a great while, we get lucky, like with smallpox, that's been pretty much eradicated, and and so, um, but COVID nineteen starts out fresh, and so in order, to, and and it's very very contagious. How dangerous it is is not completely clear. It's more dangerous to older people, uh, but um, I mean that is very dangerous for older people. It scares me the crap out of me, I'm old <laughs> and, and uh, so um, um that's why there are measures recommended now the The way it spreads has been fairly well laid out, and you know, we've only been able to study it for a few months, but it's amazing what studies are being done. Uh, it's very contagious, so what you want to do is try to avoid getting it in your nose and, uh, or your mouth, or your eyes. And so, um, uh, right now, there's no vaccine. Um, uh, there are two things that people can do that make complete sense, and uh, are not controversial. Um, one is, if you're exposed to people or I mean, the, the virus um, will get you best going through the air, it also can be picked up from surfaces. Nobody is sure how much of a dose you need on a surface, but it's clear that surfaces can spread it. So if you touch surfaces that might be affected, you should wash your hands before they touch your nose. And um, for practical purposes, it means if you go out and you touch a bunch of stuff, come in and wash your hands. Um, the second thing is the, the virus spreads through the air through uh, droplets, which are um, somewhat larger and um, will fall to the ground, so they don't spread very far. If you're you're standing next to somebody, you can be, a droplet can get you. They spread through aerosols, which are much finer, and they can go, uh, they can circulate in the air, and they don't drop to the ground so well. Mm -hmm. So, um, You'll stay away from droplets if you stay away from people, not that too close. Aerosols, um, it helps to have a mask. And um, there are three kinds of masks. Um, Respirator masks, which prevent the virus from coming in. Uh, Surgical masks, which, um, uh, well, mostly prevented from going out but can prevent some from coming in, and cloth masks, which prevent your breath from spreading. And so um, um, a few months ago, the the government officials were saying don't wear masks because they were afraid that people were going to go out and try to buy up all the respirator masks. They're called the N95s. Um, They were afraid people were gonna buy up all the respirator masks, and the people at the front lines wouldn't have enough. Uh, I'm not sure that fear was realistic, because if you went to try to buy one, as I did, I didn't want a lot, just one would be enough. Um, They weren't for sale, you couldn't get them. The ones that were for sale were probably fakes, or else you'd give me your money and you wouldn't get one. But um, nevertheless, the the, um, uh, Dr. Dr. Anthony Fauci, the, who everybody knows by now, I guess, and other people were saying, don't wear masks. What they really meant was don't rush out and try to get N95 masks because they're needed at the front lines. Then about a month later, um, they realized that what they said was not necessarily the best way to put it. And they began talking about Uh, Yeah, it's fine to wear a face mask that will, it will not protect you so much, but it will prevent the air you breathe out or from traveling far. And so lots of droplets will either catch on your mask or they'll fall to the ground. So you combine that, you combine a face mask with social distancing. And if everybody does it, that will cut the spread tremendously. And it has. the, uh, uh, in, 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 um, in countries where this has uh, been done a lot, um, incident rates are dropping, and here in communities where people are doing it, rates are dropping, but right? there's a counterforce, and that's a matter of great concern, concern to me. Most kinds of quackery won't kill you. Um, the misinformation about masks not only can kill you it can kill other can kill everybody Uh, not everybody but lots of people so you know you might say well if somebody becomes a victim of quackery because he's stupid who cares i don't feel that way but if people who are doing their best become victims of quackery and they don't do anything stupid, that really gets me. And the mask situation is one that I've never seen before in that there's there's a a, a network of people who are saying, don't wear masks, masks are dangerous. And that advice kills, Mm -hmm. it actually kills because it will increase the spread of the virus. And some people, we are going to die. And I don't like that. And I'm spending the, I spent the last few days and the next, we'll spend the next few days um, writing an article about the advice not to wear masks. It's a very simple situation. Wear a mask. It will protect other people. Might give you a little protection, but obviously if the community does it, you'll be protected by others. And so that's a no-brainer. Um, In the next few months, N95s will become available, I think. And um, I actually found some for sale. Took two months for the order to come, but it came last week. Um, It may be that people can shift to N95s and protect themselves. By the way, if you haven't had one on, it's a very interesting experience. It's not like a cloth mask. When you have an N95, and you breathe out, the mask pushes away from your face a little. Not, It doesn't break the seal, but it's almost airtight. And it comes with a little metal um, piece inside, and you shove it down over your nose, drop your jaw a tiny bit. You'll pull the mask, make a tight seal on your face. When you breathe in, the particles go through the mask. Face masks, when you breathe in, the particles can go around. That's why they say, face masks are not as protective, but they'll protect some. So um, masks are good. Now, how do you get people um, not to wear a mask? You give them nonsense. And one of the things that um, is really serious, and this is going to be a project for me for the next few months, is that the people who are talking about masks being dangerous are the same people who talk about vaccinations being dangerous. And in order to get you to believe them, they have to convince you that something's going on behind the scenes that should make you conclude that all the good guys are lying. In other words, conspiracy theories. And so the way that they fight facts is with conspiracy theories. And unfortunately, um, a lot of people believe them. There's a woman by the name of uh, Judy Mick- Miklovitz, Mikovitz, who put out a video in um, um, which she talked about how she was onto something and she got fired from her job and on and on it goes and involves Dr. Fauci and so on. Just total nuts. She's nuts, the video is nuts, um, just a pack of lies. And um, she was fired from a job, she wound up in jail briefly. But she didn't get prosecuted. But she what got were on some
0: here. Of the things that she said that were so outrageous. Because I haven't seen the video, but like, what were some of the things that she said that were so um, outrageous? Um,
1: I don't remember. It's hard to remember. It's hard to remember the, the details, but it had to do with, with um, uh, alleged research fraud and, and so on, um, which never took place, um, and not other people's. A cover-up, cover-up of what she found. Couldn't get to her research files. I don't remember the details, mm-hmm. um, but the point is that this is—I didn't get to my point actually.
0: Sorry.
1: It had millions of her. Her video had millions of views, millions. Mm-hmm. What do they call that going viral? Yeah. So there, and the point of it is—is is to undermine your trust in the government, undermine your trust in the good guys who are working on vaccines, undermine your trust in vaccines. And it's just part of what's going on. And there was a poll taken by the Chicago, uh, one of the Chicago papers within the last two weeks. And they found that about half the people they polled are not planning to get vaccinated when a COVID-19 vaccine comes. Mm -hmm. And that has the potential to kill millions of people, if that happens. Because the way you stop it is herd immunity. You can get there by getting sick or by getting vaccinated. And if a quarter of the population refuses to get vaccinated, it's gonna just keep going. So that's pretty serious stuff and so on. I'm spending my time first, trying to get an organized idea of how this stuff is put together. The next step is I'm doing what I can to try to attack its spread. There's been some interesting research that showed that once people begin to believe in conspiracies it's very hard to persuade them otherwise. And what they recommend is to try to prevent the information about conspiracies from reaching, well, has it reached, it's through social media. What's happened is that Facebook and Twitter and other social media have become the pathways through which dangerous information has been spread. Dangerous meaning it actually harms people. And um, there are a number of people who believe that Facebook and Twitter should block the spread of of this type of misinformation and it's a tough thing because you know in a democracy or in a free world you want free exchange of ideas the factum is that's not working well in health the free exchange of ideas does not work well when it comes to health because people don't have the background to judge the science and they may instead use other things like, how much does a person smile? Does the person say things I resonate with? Oh, doctors are too expensive. Don't wear your mask. You know, you catch them on some idea that, emotionally, that makes you credible, and then they say, don't wear your mask, or don't get vaccinated, or the vaccine companies are out for your money. They don't care about you. Those ideas are being multiplied through social media, and I think social media they're not public conduits they're private companies. I think they should be shut down, and uh, they're beginning to do some of that. they're putting warnings on some of the outrageous messages. <laughs> they put a warning on one of trump's messages, and Trump threatened to to, to go after them and of course he can't there's nothing he can do, mm-hmm. but he really got mad he's put out. Um, thousands of tweets that are just absolute lies. Twitter comes along and says, "Hey, check the facts on this one," and he goes bananas. That's our president.
0: <laughs> yeah, it is. Uh, I I do know the the tweet that you're talking about, and uh, it is quite interesting. the the result of uh, the result of Twitter doing what they do, but uh, it, it is hard though. Where you have a, a private companies that are so invested in in swaying public opinion but then also deciding what should and shouldn't be published um so it, it wouldn't be abnormal for us to be to understand um where we may have gone down one road and realized that was the wrong road um no matter what side of the category that you fall on See, so, you I, know, like
1: I, i'm not in general interested in censorship, I'm interested in picking targets very carefully. Mm-hmm. And I've identified what I believe is something that has no value to society, which is lying to people about health matters that has no value. And if you can convert that into behavior that kills people, why should it be permitted? I mean, the simple, the, the, the classic example is Yelling fire in a theater and causing a stampede. That kind of freedom of speech is not desirable. It's not debatable. Yelling vaccines are dangerous when they're not is not debatable. I mean, you can, there are people who will debate it, but you know, should the people who give advice that kills be allowed to have free reign? And I say, no, um, but I, I think there are many areas where there can be genuine disagreement, lots of areas. Um, when it comes to certain aspects of health, particularly public health, um, there isn't any, there's a, there's a conflict between a small group of basic nuts and liars And the scientific community, in the scientific arena, that's not a fair fight because the scientific community will ignore them. Mm -hmm. But you go out into the the internet, um, a tiny group can be pretty ferocious. And well-organized, they can make a lot of trouble and i think that the way to deal with them is to shut them is is to shut down is not to make it easy now you don't you're not going to stop them from communicating what you're going to do is say if you want to communicate build your own system don't use ours and that's the issue and i think i think um the people at facebook understand that and they're very i know for a fact I've, i've read and i've talked to some and They're very concerned about it. They want to do the right thing. I don't think they're sure what it is, but I think they're moving in the right direction. And I'm doing what I can to try to help them move in the direction of not letting Facebook be used as a channel to kill people, putting in its starkest form. The the people who are anti-vaccination and most effectively using Facebook to spread that are anti-mask, same people to a large extent. And the people who are saying don't get a COVID vaccine." Uh, I don't think they should I don't think they should have the right to use <coughs> a private company to spread that message. It's too dangerous.
0: I got a, a question for you that I believe personally. Totes a relatively similar line when you talk about uh, like promoting health misinformation in the inevitable outcome leading to people's harm um, do you what is your opinion on um, again like on social media people glorifying the overconsumption of high calorie foods you know like like oh look at this banana split that has five different kinds of ice cream and three different kinds of chocolate sauce and 20 different kinds of sprinkles and look at this beautiful presentation and let me put some flowers around it, you know, and to really glorify because we know the inevitable outcome of that is, you know, slow suicide potentially, you know, due to obesity, diabetes, heart disease, and all the things that are directly linked to it. Um, You know, like, like to me, those messages are just as dangerous because we see where that has led our population in regards to, um, you know, the high um, consumption of um, like calorie dense foods, the overconsumption of calorie dense foods um you know and the overconsumption of processed foods and again like like quantity and portion control um i, I, would argue I, I got
1: way- I got your point, but I think there's a difference um, The difference is that that um there's a difference in the degree of danger and um and I think the dynamics of the marketplace of food are vastly more complicated because, um, and I don't think it's, it's largely misinformation. I think, it, I think that um, companies that are interested in marketing their products um, uh, don't tell you it's good for your health they'll tell you it tastes good. Um, and they're not primarily internet-based. They've got, uh, uh, the packages cry out, the advertisements cry out, people like them. I think you're correct that that overconsumption is can lead to trouble. Not in everybody, by the way. Some people get away with it. If you're fit and you're fat, you're not gonna have such a great, as much of an effect on health. But it's not dishonesty. Now what's, hap- what's happened in, um, I mean, one aspect in the United States, um, there's been a tremendous drive against um, I can't remember. I can't remember, I slipped my mind, I'm getting, occasionally I lose a word. A um, kind of fat that's bad for you has been pretty much banished. I forget that, which one is oh, it? Oh, the
0: trans fats. Yeah, yeah trans, trans fats fat. are illegal now. Yeah.
1: What happened in the United States with trans fat is very interesting. Um, as it became clear that trans fat is really bad, government agencies began criticizing it and food companies responded by removing trans fat from a lot of products mm-hmm. so that um but um, um the difference between n- there there's a serious question as to what can we do to try to help people be healthier and it, you can't simply uh you can't ban, there's no way that democracy can ban um, high calorie foods. There's no mechanism and there's no sharp dividing line. And no one is going out and saying, eat my high fat foods, getting cholesterol, blocking your arteries is good. Okay? There's room for public health, there's room for public education, and that's fine and it's taking place. And there are some people who are better able to do that than others. Um, And there's been a gradual shift. Cigarette smoking is more dangerous. There's been a shift. Smoking rates have gone down some. There's been government ad, government has banned advertising. I don't think you can ban advertising of good tasting foods. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Uh, That would, I don't think, I don't think that's, Possible in a in a democracy.
0: Do you think it's socially responsible for these companies to be able to create? um, Visually stimulating packaging um, that not only speaks to children, but they they know um, Is specifically designed through colors? Figures and wording to be able to really play on serotonin levels being released in in the brain then also creating and researching these products and creating combinations of different ingredients that they know are highly addictive? Do you think that socially- oh, oh, oh,
1: oh, oh, I don't think addictive is even relevant. They're not addictive. We're talking about habits. People like them, they eat them, they're not addictive. Addiction means that if you stop, you go into withdrawal, that doesn't happen.
0: Uh, you don't think ad- that there's sugar withdrawals? No. No? No.
1: No, people like sugar. Sugar um, is now, um, it turns out that science has now demonstrated that that um, sugar uh, eating a, a lot of uh, of um, uh, refined sugar is not good for many people. Not everybody. Some people are. I mean, sugar can raise your triglyceride. Refined sugar can raise triglyceride levels. That's a blood fat level in many people, but not everybody. I mean, I. I was um, used to have tremendous amounts of sugar because I wanted to have a low fat diet. When it turned out that sugar is not so great, it didn't hurt me at all. I just cut down and I eat nuts, changed my diet to eat nuts instead of sugar.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But um, no, I don't think that, it's not addicting. I don't think you can have a sugar tax. I don't think you can have a soda tax. I don't think those measures work. I think. Public education will gradually um, help people to live a healthier life, but um, um, I don't think you can stop food companies from, you can stop food companies from saying sugar will prevent cancer. You can't stop people from saying, our product tastes delicious. If they say it'll help your health, that's a lie, they're not obliged to tell you that their product over a period of 50 years will hurt you. And the government would be willing to act very quickly if it thought that a product would have a high probability of making you sick within a matter of days. I mean, toxic substances, the government will move very quickly. Um, contamination, but you can't, I don't think it's practical to have a government that says, I'm gonna prevent you from eating too much sugar because it might kill you 40 years from now. Um, That'll never happen. And um, I don't think there's any mechanism to make it work. And besides, there are tons of other things that are far more important at the moment. Right now, there's a balance between the commercial interests of the people who are producing, the companies that produce the food, and and people who are trying to convince the people, convince the public, how to live a healthy lifestyle. But you can't, you can't do it dishonestly. It has to be, I mean, there are some rules. Quackery, there's dishonesty involved. There's a difference.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. And I'm all for a healthy lifestyle. I happen to have one. And, you know, I'm, I'm a competitive athlete and um i eat a very um healthy diet and i'm very fit uh, even though i'm old i'm, I'm extremely fit and um, cuz i do what you're supposed to do not everybody does mm-hmm.
0: so is in your opinion and the research that you've come across uh, so far all, all these years like like you don't feel that there's um there's any science that supports like an overconsumption of sugar um and like like high sugar-based products that leads to potential health concerns
1: no no that's i didn't say that no no there's that there's evidence that um too much sugar in your diet can cause a number of health problems absolutely mm-hmm. so no, I, I guess that's, that's kind of, not that's not controversial
0: yeah so i guess that that is kind of the point that i make with like companies that make products that slowly kind of change the palate and coach the palate to consume high sugar-based foods where I think it's, in my opinion, only thing that is a little bit irresponsible of companies to be able to put so much well, sugar in foods together. If I
1: were gonna go after irresponsible companies, I'd start with the cigarette companies.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, I, but, you I know, there's probably a few companies that we would put in a few industries we'd put on that chopping block for sure. Yeah,
1: no, I would say that when you say that food, some food companies are socially irresponsible, um, yeah, but that's not all. They are. They do a lot of good things, and and um, um, I'm not aware of. I'm not aware of a plot on the part of companies. Some unfair way to get people to eat. It, it may turn out. I mean, if what you say is true, I don't know whether it is or not. That you know, there's a design involved to try to get people um habituated, um that's a relatively new finding. And what ought to be done about it, I think uh, you know society will fight it out. And I think in the long run, if the human race survives, um we're gonna do better. Mm-hmm. But I can't that's not my my area has to do with really non-controversial things.
0: Yeah.
1: What's true and what isn't is with respect to health and and generally short-term health um, rather than long-term. Long-term is subject to many, many factors. Short-term health, handling of disease, uh, wasting money, chasing false claims, that's my stuff.
0: Yeah, yeah. if we could quickly, um, I, I scheduled this, this Zoom meeting for, for an hour, so I'm actually not too sure if we're going to get cut off a little bit into in this conversation or if they'll just let us kind of um, cruise through. it. But I would love to be able to get your opinion on, on the Zyto machine because that's kind of how we, we cross paths in, in the first place. Okay. Um, like I know I've, I've read your opinion um, on the, the Zyto machine, and I know that you've also put yourself through some tests. I'm um, using the this machine you had an opportunity to be able to kind of use its most premium model or and most, most premium software from what I believe I remember. Um, yeah, maybe if you could shed some, some light on that for us.
1: Okay. Zido um, is a, as as a device um, that looks like a fat glove, as a hand cradle, you put your hand on it and it's connected to a computer which runs a software program and supposedly um, when you uh, select the way you want it to run, it will measure something about your electromagnetic energy and, and tell you um, which of your organs have a problem and what products you can take to fix the problem. And they use a, a language of their own. They talk about um, imbalances. Uh, and the reason they talk about imbalances is because if they talk about diseases and organs uh, too much, uh, the government will tell them to stop, as it has. So um, one of the, the question is, how did they determine that, um, how did they decide what the output should be? How do they decide what products you should need or what, what organs have a problem? And the answer is, they made it up. How do I know? Because I ran the test 43 times on myself. I got different answers every time. And I can't remember the exact timing, but I think I ran one 12 times within one hour. And I got 12 different results. And so there's a food list and on some of the food lists within the same hour, such and such a food was the best for me and was also the worst for me. The funniest thing is I don't have a gallbladder anymore. I gave mine up to a surgeon some years ago. And four of them said my gallbladder was too much of something. Four of them said it was okay. And four of them said it wasn't enough of something. And here's what I should do to fix it. I don't have one. What the hell kind of a test is that? It's just a complete and utter fake. And what's intriguing about it is why the government doesn't put the company out of business. What's happened is there are probably at least 50 of these kinds of devices and a lot of them are coming to to smartphones now where they connect you to a smartphone somehow and it tells you what's wrong with you and what to take. Um, And all this stuff is made up There have been about 25 times that the government has taken action against practitioners or companies and so on for crossing a line saying it's good for this disease or so on. But they're still here. And there are more of them all the time. The big question is, why doesn't the government put them out of business? There isn't anything I know of in the field of health and consumer protection that is more clear cut. And the fakery of these so-called electrodiagnostic devices, and there isn't anything that's easy to get rid of, because you can stop the sale of devices. It's not hard, but they don't. The government has never, to my, my to my knowledge, there's never been any attempt to form a process to discuss how can we clear up the marketplace. I mean, there are tens of thousands of quacky things in the marketplace. And most of them can be pretty persistent. It's hard to to stop persistent sellers. But devices, that's easy. You can stop their sale. You can't sell them without going on the internet and telling people. You You can't make enough to sell them word of mouth. You go on the internet, the government can shut you down. But they don't, I don't know why. It's a mystery to me.
0: Is that why like companies um, or maybe one of the reasons why or a potential backdoor into it that um, companies typically in situations like this will have a little disclaimer somewhere that says results not typical results may vary, you know, like all those little uh, those disclaimers are are is that the kind of the backdoor to to sell machines or, you know, to be able to offer advice that that may or may not be trustworthy?
1: Um, no, um, I think you're asking two questions. One is, does it protect them? And the other thing is, um, should it be a tip off to consumers? Mm -hmm. And the answer is it probably doesn't protect the company. They do it anyway, hoping that it might. Is it a tip off to consumers? If you see a disclaimer, no, because, um, uh, if you've gotten to the point where you're reading it. You've already made a mistake. Um, you shouldn't be there. So um it um it's there for legal purposes. Um it's not a good way to distinguish between whether something is worthwhile or not. The the simplest thing with these devices is to understand their fakes and ignore them. The simplest thing with dietary supplements is not to look at and say, this has not been, uh, uh, the, I forget, there's a, there's a warning that's required by law. It says the FDA has not uh, approved these claims or something like that. Um, that's required by law. It doesn't mean it, it's not very helpful. Um, with supplements, you should know that the chances are that almost, that almost everything that's sold as a supplement, except for a few of the basic nutrients, has no value. And so if you wanna go on websites to try to determine whether a product works, you've already gone wrong. You should never trust any, anybody who sells vitamin, mineral, homeopathic product or herb. Never trust anybody like that, any website, any person, any doctor, any friend who sells it. Don't believe anything that they say. If you want information, go to the good sites, get your information. There may be occasionally a product that's useful, but don't try to to sort out what you find on sites that are selling these things. There isn't any site that sells vitamins that will give you accurate information. None. How do I know? Because in order to give accurate information, you have to say who should not buy the product. And there is no vitamin site in the world that says, don't buy my product because you don't need it.
0: Simple. Where would be a, a, a trusted source that you've come across uh, for just information on like vitamins and minerals and, and consumption of those, um, you know, that's a little bit more non-biased or just talking from a good general sense, like, you know, um, for average health, this amount of vitamin D is good or for, um, you know, more of like a, an athletic human being, this amount of vitamin D or an African-American should have this amount of vitamin D versus um, a Caucasian having this, like, is there a trusted place that you've come across that- uh, Well, that's,
1: that's, actually, that's actually not the way to look at it. What you should be looking at is not whether you're getting enough of particular nutrients, but what's your dietary pattern. And so um, the uh, US government sites, Department of Agriculture, uh, MyPlate, Um, have good information on how to balance your diet. The American Dietetic Association has good information. Um, You only need one. The U.S. Department of Agriculture talks about how to balance your diet. We have dietary guidelines. Follow the dietary guidelines. If you want to know whether you have enough of a particular nutrient, um, what you do is you write down what you eat for a week, And take it to a, either do it online yourself or take it to a doctor or a registered dietitian who doesn't sell vitamins and say, am I missing anything? Is my diet unbalanced? You should not be looking at individual nutrients for the most part. We have an article on Quackwatch that says, what are the areas of, that people can look at where they might go wrong, but that's not for most people. If you basically, if you eat a bunch of different foods and you don't eat too much fat, the chances are you're going to get the nutrients you need. And the problem with diet in the United States is not lack of nutrients, it's lack of balance. It's too much fat. And and so what you should aim for is dietary balance, normal weight, regular exercise, not necessarily a tremendous amount, but a reasonable amount. You do that and... And um, you'll go a long way toward optimal behavior. The good behavior is not far from super behavior actually, uh, but um, it's not easy to do it. It's not easy to exercise regularly. It's not easy to avoid overweight. I mean, I'm thin, but believe me, I struggle sometimes um, because I like to eat and. Yeah. yeah, don't we all? Left to my own resorts, I might eat more and start. I turn into a balloon.
0: <laughs> I don't do
1: that.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Isn't that the truth? Um, I, I would thoroughly could talk to you like for the the entire rest of the day. I know that we were originally discussing trying to cap this around uh, the sixty minute mark and stuff but um, I have okay. like and a. Tremendous-
1: why don't you? Why don't you- call me in three or six months. It might be interesting to see what's happened with, with, um, COVID-19 and I'll be happy to do it again.
0: Yeah. And, you know, even like in, in the, in the future, you know, maybe a little bit sooner like like th- three, six months, I know that there's, there's a few, well, quite a few things, you know, that I've seen uh, on Quackwatch watch that I, I would be honored to be able to discuss with you. Cause I just, I think you have like a, a great perspective on, uh, you know, kind of like some information that's out there and information that that you've published and stuff. So, um, anytime that you're willing to have a, a conversation with a West Coast Canadian, I'd be I'd be more than happy to be able to to do another okay. one. Well, what
1: me. what one thing you might do, you might want to subscribe to my free newsletter because that covers two or three things. And if there's something that particularly interests you, or, you know, maybe that would um, be a spark or something. But.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, I I absolutely appreciate your time and I. I you know, I know that you're a busy man and I I appreciate your time immensely for coming on. We arrived today. Um, the information that you gave today was invaluable and I appreciate your perspectives. Um, and again, shout out from, uh, from West coast, Canada, all the way down to the East coast of the United States. And I hope that you guys are, are safe down there. I'm not sure what the, the, um, the situation is like down there on the streets and stuff, but if there's- oh, I'm,
1: I'm not on the streets. I, I'm not in a big, I'm in a small community. There's a, protests about thirty miles away, but i think uh, um, i think uh, the the uh, uh, the police tend to be i think most of the police in most of the areas um, are pretty reasonable and it's a tough situation because you have people and i think most of the people who are protesting they're not out to make trouble, but there are other people who are you know taking the opportunity to steal and there are probably some you know hotheads who are inciting violence and that's that's really bad because the the you know the people out there are trying to protest for a good cause, yeah the vast majority of the public are with them. the policemen out there are trying to protect property. Mm-hmm. I think the vast majority of people are sympathetic, but you've got a situation where you know it's explosive, and you have a president who who doesn't care anything about anybody but himself and doesn't have the slightest idea um, how to deal with the situation, and has been, you know, doing everything he he can think of to make it worse. So it's,
0: yeah.
1: If 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 our country doesn't get rid of, of Trump in the next election, I'm not sure we'll have a country in four years. He is so dangerous.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting to see what the majority of Americans decide um, come election time because uh, it will be a pivotal shift in the world uh, and we'll, we'll see what happens uh, in the next election. Okay. Good. Awesome. Have a wonderful day and I'll talk to you soon.